Hello, Australia. Welcome to episode number nine of the Layback Podcast. I'm Jackson Allen, and this is a podcast about Australian climbers and Australian climbing stories. Actually, someone asked me the other day, hey, Jackson, why do you say hello, Australia at the start of each episode? And um, I guess I needed a catchphrase, uh, given that it was an Australian audience that the podcast was targeted towards. It seemed apt. And uh, But actually, you know, 40% of the people who are tuning into the podcast, uh, they're tuning in from outside Australia, from the US, New Zealand, uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, so to those of you, hello, thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for showing an interest in Australian climbing culture. Since the last podcast, we've actually hit 10,000 listens. I want to give a big shout out to all of the people who have shared the podcast on social media, who've sent me messages, who've liked us on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't done those things yet, uh, please go over and do so. You know, send us a message, you know, even if it's just feedback for the interviewee, uh, they do put a lot of their heart and, and their energy into these podcasts and they like to hear from you. So, you know, don't be shy, send us a message uh, and, uh, and I'll forward it on. In this episode, we feature Simon Wheel, also known uh, by the nickname Arnie, a climber from Victoria, who uh, I first came across on uh, this YouTube video, a video of a climb uh, called Middle Path at the Moulin Crag in the Grampians. Uh, here's this guy who's kind of stockier than your average climber, tattoos on the, the left arm, uh, looks like maybe he should be an MMA fighter rather than a climber. Uh, but he, you know, floats up this route, uh, gets to the, the final traverse into the chains where the cameraman happens to be getting in his way. Uh, and and, and as, he, as he makes his way towards the cameraman, he leans in and he says to the cameraman, get the fuck out of my way. And that was my first impression. I think my second impression uh, was when I read uh, something that Ross Taylor wrote in Vertical Life uh, about Simon being pricklier than a ball cactus. It wasn't until about two years ago when I met Arnie in person at the Grampians Bouldering Festival. He was actually giving a tour of a bouldering area called the Bleachers, an area he developed, uh, an area he was instrumental in developing. And it was uh, when I met him there that that kind of perception just completely melted away. Uh, Simon is a really down-to-earth guy. He's fun to be around, fun to climb with. He's got a big heart and he cares a lot about the communities that uh, he's involved in, not just in climbing, but, but outside of climbing also. In this episode, we get into his climbing origins. You know, I had him uh, pegged as a boulderer, but he's actually, um, you know, uh, started off his, his climbing as a trad climber, climbing on uh, Bluestone in, uh, uh, in Melbourne, uh, making his way to Arapiles and, uh, and kind of cutting his teeth on trad climbs out there. Uh, definitely, he's done a lot of sport climbing. And, uh, uh, but, but his main thing has been, uh, I kind of, kind of think, bouldering development in in, uh, in the last period. And so we really get stuck into that in this podcast. Uh, we talk about bouldering history and development of bouldering in, in the Grampians and in Victoria. Uh, we talk about development and uh, uh, I guess his drive for that, uh, his process for developing and, and what he sees the, the future of development being uh, in Victoria. 
We talk also a bit about the other things in his life. You know, uh, with all the interviewees, um, I guess climbing is the one thing that everyone has in common, but I really like to dig in and find out about the things that are outside of their life, uh, outside of their climbing life uh, that, that, uh, that they do. And uh, Simon actually runs a restaurant. Um, he also does other sports, uh, in particular uh, Brazil, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and we talk a bit about that. He's recently become a father, we talk about how that has or has not changed his uh, approach to climbing uh, and kind of how he manages all those things uh, to, together. Um, and yeah, it's it was really enjoyable. I had a really good time with this one and, uh, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. We kick it off in... Uh, 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 a conversation around a recent trip that he's just come back from uh, to Rocklands in South Africa. Uh, and uh, yeah, enough from me. Uh, let, let's get into it. Uh, here it is. You recently got back from Rocklands. Yes. How was that? That was great. Yeah. yeah. I've been there a bunch of times. So it's a... Um, I don't know, it's just a primo destination for our winter. Yeah. And yeah, just, I mean, it's limitless. There's so much sandstone there. So it's great. And it was awesome with the little guy. So, you know, yeah. with a kid, it's it's kind of easy. And yeah, a lot of people are a bit like, man, you seriously went to South Africa with a kid? And it's like, well, you're kind of going to South Africa, but where you are, you're so far out of everything. It's pretty, it's pretty safe. Like, yeah. You don't ever feel insecure out there. You know, obviously you have to go to Cape Town and drive through Cape Town, but even that is not – I think, you know, you can alleviate some of those risks sort of if you're smart and, you know – You you can minimise it. Yeah, that's right. You just drive yeah. during the day and, you know, Cape Town is not Johannesburg, so it's not, you know, it's not the same. But And yeah. that was that was because f- you're just newly a dad, right? So yeah, it's the yeah. first time travelling with uh, with him in tow? Yeah, well, we've been to Sydney a couple of times to yep. visit grandparents. But, um, yeah, the first long haul, which, um, yeah, was pretty um, interesting. We uh, we all had gastro on the way over, which was all time. Um, thankfully, it kind of made him just pass out for the whole flight, which was cool. Uh, and then he slept the whole way back. So we were pretty, pretty chuffed with that. But, yeah, no, Rocklands is awesome. It's... Yeah. Um, it's a great place. It's um, there was a huge Australian contingent there, from what I saw, kind of around Instagram and so forth. Lots of lots of Aussies there this yeah, year. Yeah, lots of Sydney siders, lots of guys from up there. Um, good crew, actually. It was really nice. Um, you know, it was good for us having other people around who are sort of into kids and happy having a you know a screaming child around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amy didn't get to do much climbing. She was sort of pretty much on full time mum duty, which I thank her very much for. Yeah, you've you've kind of in debt on the parental credits there a bit now. Uh, let's not talk about that too much. You know, <laughs> she might hear this and you know start start some sort of regimen. But uh, yeah, she um, yeah, he's been look, he's pretty high maintenance with his sleeps and stuff during the day. But um, yeah, so she took the hit on that one, and I got to go climbing. So that was pretty cool. Any good sends? Any? Uh... Uh, it was a, look. It was a bit of a tricky, a tricky trip this time around. I went in pretty uh, pretty underdone. I haven't. Haven't been able to do a huge amount of sort of specific training. Um, Courtesy of being your dad now. Yeah, just yeah. that, and you know, work and just just time restraints. Really, at this stage, uh, it's been a busy year. Um, but yeah, I guess most of that is down to being being a dad. You know, you try to put most of your spare time into hanging out with the little dude and backing up Amy when I can. Um, 
but yeah, so I didn't get to train much, so I wasn't at my at my strongest when I got there and promptly got injured. Um, yeah, I tore my hamstring, I did a medial ligament in my knee, and then um, I sort of did a pulley as well all on the same day. The pulley was a pretty minor to start with, and then yeah, over the next few weeks, I kind of really uh, ramped that up. So yeah, I'm sort of I'm on no climbing detail for another couple of weeks at the moment. So uh, yeah, no. pretty frustrating, but yeah, ah, it is what it is. So it's a pretty international scene there, yeah. Mm, in yeah, Rocklands. Yeah, huge amount of euros. It's, it's an easy trip for them. Yeah, like it's super cheap. Yeah, um, you know, with pounds or with euros or whatever else. And it's on the same time zone, so for them, it's just it's a breeze. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, pretty jealous of the Euros when they get to go home and not have to deal with jet lag. It's pretty rough this year. Yeah. So, but look, it, yeah, it's a cool place. It's um kind of good for everyone. There's lots, lots of lots of different staff in all grade ranges, and it, it's good that there's a new guidebook that sort of has opened up all these new areas because mm. it's sort of sort of dispersed people. Our first week, we. We were there with another mate, Damo, from mm. Halls Gap, and we really didn't see anyone else at the Crags for the first week, which was unbelievable. So, yeah, it was awesome. Well, that's good. I know I've heard that, you know, some kind of early talk around the, the impact that it's having over there with a lot, like a lot of internationals going and hit the same spots a lot. So. There's, yeah, there's definitely that. And there is, you know, like anywhere, climbing is for sure having an impact on, mm. on some of the rock and, yeah, some people, I don't know, it just seems like they treat it a bit different because it's not in their own country, mm. you know, tick marks and, you know, brushing chalk off and just generally being shit at looking after the rock. It's, yeah, it's a bit frustrating and, you know, you try to educate people a little bit without being overbearing, but, you know, there definitely is a bit of impact. There's some cl- absolute classics there that people have kind of done to death, same as, you know, same as everywhere, you know. It's getting into that sort of... 20-year time frame where people have been going there for and, you know, even bullet hard sandstone starts to show the, you yeah. know, the effects of people being there. And I guess it's also because the season's so short, people really ram it for, you know, for two or three months and then disperse. So, yeah, if, if stuff's not, you know, getting rain and getting weathered, it doesn't seem to get cleaned up and there's not a huge amount of rain there. So, yeah. Yeah, I was following your, your trip on Instagram and – uh You've got the Instagram handle Block Monster Arnie. Um, how did you get the nickname Arnie? <laughs> um, there's a bit of conjecture about that one, actually. Um, some unkind souls suggest that I gave it to myself, which I can say right now is not true. Um, Set the record straight. Yeah, correct. <laughs> for uh, for all those people who are interested, um, my friend Mullet Pete, actually, who's a uh, an old friend of mine, started calling me Arnie. Because I used to uh, like to lift weights when I was a young man, and that's where it came from, and it just it stuck. So it's a much cooler name than Simon. Let's be honest. So yeah, and then yeah, I may may have self perpetuated it a little bit going forward, but uh, I did not come up with it in the first place. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell us, um, why do you climb? What's in it for you? Um. Good question. I've just, you know, I've been climbing for virtually my entire life. Like, so I started climbing when I was 12, I'm 41 now, and I've never really had any big breaks from it. I've just always enjoyed it. I enjoy the camaraderie of it. I really like being around, you know, most climbers. Um, 
And I love being outdoors and I love, I just love the movement of climbing rock and the problem solving aspect and the physicality of it. And it's kind of got everything that I want in a sport and, and also in a pastime, you know, it's just, yeah. it's kind of all encompassing. So yeah. And it's been, it's been such a rewarding way of sort of traveling and seeing the world and meeting people. And yeah, I, I often think about what I would do if, or what I would have done if I hadn't have found climbing. And I very rarely come up with a satisfactory answer. So, yeah. How did you discover climbing? Uh, I started climbing with a guy at school. Um, he just, he was a mate who was uh, in the year above me at school. And he said he was going climbing and would I be interested in giving it a go? And I was like, let's, let's have a look at what it's all about. So he must have been 13 and I was 12. And we went down to, um, a bridge in Melbourne uh, on Bridge Road where the boat boat sheds are. Did some top roping on some bluestone pillars with a sailing rope and a couple of homemade harnesses. And yeah, I was I was basically hooked from day one. I think I made him go out again the next weekend and then the weekend after that. And then, yeah, that was it. Was- what, what was it about? I mean, because when you describe that climbing like bluestone pillars, it doesn't sound very, you know... Um, well-developed like what we would think about climbing these days. Was it challenging to get to the top of the uh, Yeah, there was like, you know, it, like with anything, the bluestone blocks are not all the same. They're all kind of handcrafted, I guess, or, or hand-cut or whatever. And so they're all different. So every pillow would have, you know, at least four different roots on it. And so we just kind of move around those and, you know, just some with like little arches on them. And it was just, I don't know, it was good fun and it was physical and, and it was different and I was always kind of drawn to doing different things. So I'd done gymnastics and then I kind of had to pull out of that. Um, I can't remember why, but I stopped doing gymnastics and I kind of, and I, which I loved and um, climbing seemed to fill that void perfectly. Yeah. Um, and I still played cricket and footy and, you okay. know, all the other kind of normal sports, so to speak. But yeah, I just, I loved climbing straight away and I've done it ever since ever, you know, after I was about 15, I reckon, every school holidays, I would end up at Arapalese just camping for a couple of weeks with, with randoms and just track climbing. And yeah, I wish I had have discovered training a bit earlier, but um, yeah. I mean, how, how did it develop? Like, were there people that, that you met, like, that could mentor you and take you out? Because I don't, I don't recall that the gym scene was really that well developed in the mid 90s. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There weren't many people. And um, yeah, I guess I was never. Um, I, I I sort of you you fall in with people, and I've got you know I, I met some people that I climb with, and I the original guy that I climb with, Mike, uh, I climbed with him a little bit, and we you know we would go out to where Apple is, etc. But he had shoulder injuries early on. He's a really big guy. He was like six four or six five, and he had quite like uh, thin shoulders, and um, he just had shoulder injuries early on. So I, I started climbing with him and then he kind of dropped by the wayside really quickly. Um, and then, yeah, I met other people, but not really anyone that I still climb with or anything. There's a few people, but yeah, I just I just loved it and I would just kind of try to hook up with anyone that I could or... What's, what style of climbing were you doing? My, oh, pretty much all trad. There all wasn't, trad, there yeah. wasn't much yeah. else really, you know. Okay. There was, there's the odd sort of carrot bolt, et cetera, and Arapalese and, but... We didn't really, you didn't even go to the Grampians back then. It was just, you know, that place was something different. You know, you just catch a catch a bus to Horsham and then hitch from Horsham to 
to Natty and then try and get a ride from Natty to, to the mount. So, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a Rapalese or nothing. Really. A bit of top roping on some yeah. harder stuff, but yeah. And then often I would spend time kind of just climbing with other um, – or yeah, just hanging out with school groups and stuff. They'd be up there and they'd see this 15-year-old kid just kind of moseying around. They'd be like, what are you doing? So I did a bit of that and, yeah, met some – met a few people, but, yeah, it was a, mostly on your own sort of thing or, you know, with one other mate that you've dragged up and you're trying to teach him how to belay and, yeah. And so how did you – because, I mean, we – I most associate you with bouldering now, right? I've seen a bit of you dabbling in sport in the past, like photos of you doing sport routes and uh, and some YouTube videos and so forth. But how did you – because you started with trad and bouldering is almost the antithema to trad like within our scene. How did you – how did it get from there to here? It, uh, it was just kind of a natural progression. I just um, – I guess bouldering didn't exist – in my mind when, when I started and it wasn't a thing, you know, we're talking, I don't know, 90, 1990 or 1991, I guess. So bouldering wasn't a big thing. Um, and, there, and there was a bit of, you know, a bit of hard sport climbing, but no one really bolted easier stuff. So yeah. it was trad and then, excuse me, it was trad and then a bit of easier sport climbing. And then when I hit sort of, I guess, 17, 18, or even 16, 17, 18, I started training at some gyms that had some bouldering. Like there was the gym in uh, Mount Alexander Road. Um, I can't remember what that place was called, the one that burnt down in suspicious circumstances. Okay. And the paper factory next door. Do you remember that place? No. 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 I can't remember what it's called. It anyway. does sound like an insurance job. Yeah. Well, it was the paper factory that burnt down. The, um, the climbing gym was weird. <laughs> it was really weird. So it was owned by a... Um, I think he was a former SOG guy and he was he was cool, but there was a shooting range inside the building. There was a shooting so, yeah, range in the- In the climbing gym. So you had like the shooting range and then the bouldering was on top of the shooting range and then there were kind of routes all around and yeah, it was pretty interesting scenes. And that was on the other side of Melbourne to where I live. So it would take, you know, an hour and a half to get there and then you trained and committed. then- Oh, for sure. But I was into it, you know, on holidays and stuff. If I wasn't away, I'd, you know, climbing a bit the whole day when you could train for four or five hours- but anyway, you asked me how I got into bouldering. So um, I ended up just going to the gyms and then I eventually ended up working at the mill in Collingwood, which was another climbing gym that existed for a while in town. And um, that had a pretty good bouldering area. And I just sort of fell into it. I just started training there and I liked bouldering. And I still, I love root climbing. Like I really do. But it's just um, the ease of bouldering. Um it's just it's such an allure, but yeah, I love trad climbing. I did a, did a huge amount of trad climbing when I lived uh, in Sheffield, and I did a lot of sport over there on the limestone, and then bouldering as well. If I had my choice, I'd be good at all three. But you know, bouldering's just it's easy access. And when I lived up in the Grampians on my own, it was quite often I'd just be out for Arvo sessions and stuff, and so I just went bouldering. You know, yeah. so. What was like the state of bouldering, I guess, in the early noughties, like around that time? Like was was there a lot going on? No, nah, no, nah, there was nothing. I think uh, my first bouldering day was uh, up at the cave. I went up with, I don't know, uh, might have been Roscoe, Taylor or someone like that. And we ran into Dave Jones up there. And Dave Jones had this homemade mat that was like, it was like falling onto a thermarest. And um, so I remember the first, like the first boulder that I properly tried outside was um, uh, what's that thing along the lip at the at the cave that that the V five or whatever. No, nah, the eight that comes into the pocket. Um, oh, I can't recall, but oh, you know it. 
anyway, you know, sit, sit, start, you go up into this undercling pocket and then you kind of pull up into a roof and there's this kind of mushroom of rock underneath it that, you know, any decent pad would totally stop these days. But Dave had his mat on that and it was just like, you know, like an old foam mattress that you would sleep on with just wrapped in gaffer tape. And I fell on that and I don't reckon my spine's ever been the same. <laughs> it was... Uh, so you fell like you took like one of those nasty falls that are pretty nasty even on today's mats, just bang onto this therm rest with the rock under it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Took the wind out of me for a little while. I think Dave probably just rolled me out of the way and just kept climbing. <laughs> but but um, you were keen to go back at it. Yeah, I was frothing. It was pretty yeah, I was pretty into it. Um and then yeah, sort of people started appearing. We you know, we kept soldiering on. We used to go to the cave a bit and you know, there was a pretty small um I guess because I wasn't into developing, we were just sort of going out and doing stuff that we'd heard had been done and we had, I guess we had some online like printed guide or something that Clem and Tony had sort of written up and I think Julian Saunders and those guys kind of had had that um, information. And so we climbed with them a lot and then I met my friend Matt Tate and, you know, so there was there was a bit of a scene coming together. You know, pads were kind of few and far between and, you know, outrageously expensive for you know the the polo students that we were and yeah. you know and we were tight asses like all climbers you know it's the uh unfortunate part of this sport that it doesn't matter how long people have been climbing for and how much money they have they're still dirt bags it's it's quite funny yeah. so yeah how was bouldering like uh kind of how did it sit in the australian scene at that point in time like compared to say sport climbing and and trad climbers at Arapolis? like how was it viewed or received yeah it was pretty segmented you know because you've definitely and it's still sort of that way today you know you've got the the old school track climbers look at you with disdain and you're like well actually man i I was one of you and you know i i still enjoy my trad but you know and and i guess we didn't really make it easy because we were you know we were loud and obnoxious and we used to play music and you know there'd be big groups of us and they'd never seen such things before so it was pretty yeah, it was pretty split up, but we all sport. Well, I still sport climbed a lot back then, so I f- sort of felt like I was part of those two things. And I still, you know, I still would go to Arapalies, and you know, some days you'd go bouldering on some of the boulders, and then other days you'd go and and climb. And you know, some trips you'd do all three. You know, yeah. so I sort of always, I don't know, I, I, it it seems like it was only ever a, a sort of a sort of fight between young and old. You know, it was yeah, never okay. like. Sport climbers and boulders didn't get along or, you know, trad climbers and sport climbers didn't get along. It was more – there was a few wars about bolting and stuff for a while, but I was never really involved in that. I've never been into the, the bolting side of things, so I, I wasn't really part of it. I probably had an opinion on it because I was opinionated a little shit. But, um, yeah, but climbers and, you know, just climbers in general and boulders kind of got along reasonably well, I think, as I recall. Yeah, who knows? How do you think the bouldering culture, like in Australia, differs from from those other cultures? Oh, like these days, bouldering is a real. It's become like a real fashion sport, you know. It's become, yeah. and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not, you know. It's just become really popular really quickly, and it's not really. I guess it's not really grown in the way that other sports have, like slowly and there's been some good management of it and stuff so you go to the crags and you know there's people kind of not doing the right thing and it's hard to try to educate those people without sounding like a tosser and so yeah it's just it's just a different different thing you know people 
go to the gyms, they start bouldering, then they can go outside straight away. You don't need you don't need any gear really, you know, you just need your shoes and a chalk bag and you're in. Yeah. Whereas low barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And it's yeah. you know, it's easy for people to get outside and, and just go and do their thing and yeah, and, and sometimes it's great, and then other times, you know, you, the next thing you know, you're calling in an ambulance for someone who's busted their ankle because they, you know, they don't really know what they're doing or they don't know where to put their mats. And you know, no one's teaching people that sort of shit, though. Yeah. No one really taught us. You just sort of had to learn, and sometimes you learn the hard way. And yeah, I was just lucky. I had really, you know, I had good people around me, and you know, still do, I guess. I still got. They do talk about like Clem Loscott a lot, you know, in the Baldwin guidebook for for the Grampians, for example, and this kind of contingent of the Austrians yeah, yeah. that came out, and there was a big charge on Baldwin development. Um, were, were you were you there during that time? I, I wasn't time? really. No, I yeah. actually never met those guys yeah. um, during the during that trip. I met like a couple of the other guys who, who were with them and came back, or were there a little bit later. But I mean, look. Think about what it would have been like to turn up to the Grampians as a boulderer and no one had ever done anything. Like, you know, those guys just tore it apart. Yeah. And they did They did it all over the world. Like Clem, in my mind, is probably, you know, he's a bit forgotten now, but he was a monster. Yeah. You know, him and Fred and- like, Fred Nicole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those guys are probably the two most- like adventurous guys who have been everywhere. Any guidebook that you go to in the world, you open it up and there's like an 8B from Fred or an 8B from Clem or Tony or, you know, those guys. And that they've been doing it for so – like Fred's amazing just for his longevity. Yeah. He's still crushing hard. And, um, you know, he's got two new hips or at least one. But, yeah, whereas Clem's kind of – because he's not into it anymore as much. I'm sure he probably still climbs 8B, but – you know, he's into his surfing and all sorts of other stuff. He's sort of been forgotten a little bit. And I reckon people are sleeping on that guy because he was, yeah, he was a monster. Yeah. Like his stuff still stands up today for sure. And in Rocklands, there's heaps of things that he did. Like that ray of light problem, you would have seen, you know, people are, you know, it's still 8B and it was done, yeah, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. Yeah. He's a monster. Yeah. So you've traveled a lot around the world over the years, right? Like, I mean, I, we could sit here and just list it off for ages. Like you, you bowled in the UK, you lived over there for a while. Yeah. Um, obviously, South Africa, Rocklands, we were talking about that. Yeah. Japan, yeah. Thailand, everywhere. How, like, how does the, how have you seen the bouldering scene or the climbing scene, I guess, and probably more want to talk, understand bouldering, but compares from like Australia to, to international? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um do we have like a unique Australian bouldering scene? Well, every, everything about Australia is pretty unique, like yeah. in terms of the way things are. It was always a little bit um, divisive early on between states. You know, there was yeah. always a group of climbers from Vic and then New South Wales climbers. and But it's sort of – and for a long time, like it's only the last few years where, you know, you go to a crag and you're like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, you know, up until then it was always like, oh, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you, you know, hugs all around because you knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And climbing was like that for a really long time and it really is only the last sort of handful of years where it's, you know, it's gotten really popular and mm-hmm. you go to places and you're just like, I've never seen any of these people before at all. It's the same when you go to the gyms now, you know, you walk into a gym and it's like, who are these people? But, you know, the culture's still, I don't know, it's reasonably social but it's always been, the Grampians has always been a bit funny because there's never – been a, a central place where people gather, you know, after, afterwards. You know, you had Stapleton, which was, I mean, I guess a lot of people who, who are going to listen or, or who have started climbing in the last, 
I don't know, 10 years, Stapleton, they would never really would have had the experience of staying there. But the Stapleton campground was originally the, the kind of gathering place and everyone used to camp there. And so you would go there at Easter and there'd be hundreds of people camping there and they'd all be climbers. There'd be a few unfortunate families <laughs> decide to spend their break there. But yep. yeah, they um, the rest of the time it was just climbers. And so there was a good scene then. You know, it was really, it was really strong, and it was pretty social, and there'd be good parties, and people blowing shit up and burning stuff. You know, like any any group of yeah, idiots. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Thank God we don't have a lot of firearms in this country. Yeah. Um, but it seems to have, with the demise of the Stapleton Campground, that's really like disappeared. Yeah. You know, and, and now it's quite fragmented. You know, you've got a few Halls Gap climbers and then you've got your Melbourne day trippers and then you've got a few people who stay at Mount Zero cabins and it's just there's not one place where people gather. And so unless you run run into people at the crag and you know them or, you know, you get chatting to them, it, it doesn't seem like there's like a really strong together scene like there is in Europe. Like if you go to, you know, any place in Europe, say like Magic Wood or um, – I don't know, just let's say Magic Wood, for example. Everyone camps in the one spot or everyone stays in the accommodation in one spot. That's all there is. Yeah. And so you, you just you meet people and people, you know, get along. Like, mm. And I, I guess growing up with the gym scene in, in Europe, that's probably it's like it's a sport that people take seriously, you know. Climbing is actually a, a sport that people care about in Europe, whereas climbing has been like this kind of – it's just, you know, degenerates and – you know, scumbags who climb. It's always been a bit of a fringe sport in Australia, I reckon. And Do you think that that's an accurate interpretation? I think it definitely uh, in the past has attracted those kinds of people. It, it doesn't seem to be the same now. It seems to be like it's got this real clean-cut image now, which I don't like. But No. Well, it's just – I mean, look, the whole comp side of things and the gym side of things has brought in a different – like just a, a different group of people. And that that's not bad per se, but I kind of enjoyed that, you know, that, you know, outlaw sort of Because if we hark back to your story about you climbing on those blue stone poles, yeah. you talked about it being different to AFL and traditional Correct. sports. There was like a difference there that that uh, maybe is, is not as uh, apparent or-, or Yeah, absolutely. It's not yeah. the same as it was. And like, you know, it's still, I, what, what I liked about it is being out in the bush just- kind of with your mates and now it's out in the bush with 200 of your mates you know and there's just yeah it's it's kind of yeah there's just a, you know there's a certain amount of rock to go around and you know that that's sort of that's sort of that so yeah just i don't know i liked it in the old days when it was when it was uh kind of not the done thing yeah, yeah. that's i mean that's why that's definitely one of the things that attracted me to climbing is other people are not really into it i like that i just like doing my own thing and Kind of always have. So. It's it ebbed and flowed though over the years, from what I've heard. Right, like it got popular at points. And do you think we're just going through a phase of popularity? I hope so. To be honest, I I I hope it's not on a like an upward trend. You know, because I don't think that the you know the environment within which it works can tolerate all those people for a long period of time unless it it is kind of regulated in a way, and you know. That may not be a popular way of looking at it, but yeah, I just think, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful with your natural resources. And, mm. you know, I say that from a gifted position because I've had, you know, such a long time of climbing and such a long time of kind of doing my own thing. And I don't want regulation and I don't want it to change. But, you know, if there's 200 people at a particular bouldering area each weekend, then yeah, something kind of needs to give. And 
that I, I guess that's kind of where we're at with with some of the access issues. Although, although I don't think that's their justification for it. I think they've fucked that up entirely. But mm. well, know, we'll, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm let's sure let's get will. to that. Yeah, but let's yeah. let's uh, let's talk about um, the glory days of bouldering <laughs> development in the Grampians. Okay. How did you get into development? Was it just a natural thing because you were run out of boulders to? I never ran out. I wasn't strong enough to do all the uh, all the harder test pieces, so I uh, just went off and found my own. Now I um, it was one of those things where you know if you spend enough time going to the same areas, you know you get bored. Like like with anything, you know, I got sick of going to Andersons. I got sick. I really didn't enjoy climbing at the cave. It just it's not a style that I particularly enjoy. I don't. You know, I like topping out on boulders, you know. I like climbing yeah. up and the cave was just like, I don't know, and I was shit at it, so I didn't enjoy it very much. I couldn't cut loose, which is kind of- You like, like to cut loose? Well, just, I'm not a very good climber, so, you know, I do a lot of cutting loose because my technique's not very good. I so. got the impression you love the, like, refrigerator hug. Every do. time I see a picture of you, you're, like, squeezing down on some big bulbous, ju- like, not jugs, but, like, slopey- I do. You know, I love to squeeze. Yeah. I like of, to hug, you know? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I like a, to hug the I'm a hugger. Yeah. It's maybe, maybe it's down to jujitsu as well. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I just- I got bored of going to the same places and it's sort of- I don't, I don't remember it ever- I don't even remember the first ever, you know, new boulder I did. I just sort of started, you know, just I guess walking around and if you spend enough time in areas where you've done a lot of climbing, you you know, you're looking for I guess you see something one day and you're like, I wonder if that's been climbed and, you know, it's not in the guidebook so I'll go up it and it just progressed from there and, yeah. and now I, I just enjoy it and I, I've had a lot of time on my own in the Grampians when, because I lived up there for, I mean, this was, I, I guess, 10 or 12 years ago now when I was working up there and I had a lot of time on my hands and so I just, I, I would develop and then on the days when I wasn't climbing or it was wet, I would just go for a walk and, yeah, so I've just done that. And, it, it you know, I've had times where we had big groups of people and we developed, like when we did, we developed the tower, that was with a whole group of kind of people over a year or two and. You know, that, those are some of the fondest memories I have of climbing, you know, yeah. just going around with a bunch of mates and just doing new stuff. It's just, it's awesome. And, you know, it was one of those things where we had people who were climbing V3 right up to people who were climbing, you know, really hard and everyone would have something to do. You'd just, yeah. you know, brush up a line, throw a rope down something. And actually that kind of came a little bit later. We didn't really top down clean stuff for a while, which I wish I had gotten into earlier. Um, but, yeah, it was it's just something that I've I've sort of fallen into and, and now I love it. I love walking around and finding yeah. new stuff and looking for the, you know, the perfect line. Yeah. So. What What is it about it? Like what? It's um, like kept you doing it because like, I mean, it's one thing to discover something and do it for a little while, but you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I just, I like doing new stuff. I get bored doing the same old things and I'm not, I'm not very good at projecting. Like I've never been, unless it's a first ascent, I very rarely spend kind of multiple sessions on something. I just, yeah, I, I just like doing new things and I like walking and, you know, I'm not very good at sitting still for long periods of time. So, yeah, if I, you know, we've got a place in the Grampians and if there's a day where I'm not climbing or the weather's not great or whatever, I just go for a walk and go go find some stuff and, yeah. you know, pin it and then head back to it if there's something good there. and Yeah. yeah. 
most of the time you find something. Sometimes it's, you know, you find something that might be miles from the car and you kind of have to weigh up whether you're going to bother going back or not. And then yep. other days, man, I have walked for full days and found nothing, like nothing. And some of those days I've done it with Pat on my back and it's just brutal. But yeah, yeah I just, I don't know, somehow remain pretty enthusiastic about putting up new stuff. What, what do you think separates the, the, the developers from the, the average climber? Like what, what's the difference in the... I don't know. Stupidity? Time? Maybe time? Yeah. I don't know. If you've got a lot of time on your hands, maybe. Um, some guys are just, you know, super strong. They do lots of stuff and then they just want to go and find other things. And then other people just like walking around and I don't know. There is... You know, there's so much to do still with bouldering for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it's different to sport climbing for sure. Um, where in, you know, in some areas it's probably reaching its sort of critical mass, but mm. bouldering, you're always going to be able to find bits and pieces to do. It just really depends on how willing you are to, to, to explore. Yeah. So, yeah. Which seemingly I have an abundance of, uh, of time and effort for. Yeah. Is there a, is there a, uh, is a part of it like, you know, you get to name the the problem. I've never I've never put up like a first ascent on a on a bowler that would be recognised. Yeah. You know, is there something to it about being able to name it, like leaving a legacy behind in a way, kind of maybe cheating death, like you're going to leave this this uh, line that forever has your uh, uh, your style, your name imprinted on it? No, not really. No, no, because I've never really. I like I, I I kind of enjoy naming things, and I always have a list on my phone of you know if I'm reading an interesting book and. There's, you know, a, something in there about, I don't know, something I find interesting. Yeah. It'd just be a random name or, you know, a random collection of words that I find entertaining or funny or interesting or, you know, topical. I just chuck them in my phone, in my notes, and, yeah, I've always got, you know, 50 or 60 names ready to go. And But I don't, I don't write down anything. I don't map anything. I've actually – I've had this <laughs> – for the last two years, I've been trying to find those boulders that I found, yeah. uh, like – three or four years ago with, with my friend Chook. And um, for the life of me, I can't find it. And it was this massive boulder and it was maybe 20 or 30 metres from off a dirt road. Yeah. And I, I can't even find it. I can't find the dirt road. I don't even know where it was. I can't remember. So I don't I don't kind of write things down or map them out. And so I just – so, yeah, it's got nothing to do with legacy. I just like doing it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, take some photos of it and off you go back into the bush, you know, onto the next one. Getting into that naming process, so you got to. How do you filter down on the the names? Like, what 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 makes a cut? What doesn't? How do you? <laughs> there's there's no rhyme or reason for that, no, man. There's no. just yeah. Some some of them are funny. Some of them are topical. Others are just ridiculous. What's your favourite problem name? Oh wow, that that's really putting me on the like spot. yours or maybe someone else's. Like, what's the best problem name in the world? Oh Is there man, one? that's pretty tough. Some of the some of the names that. You know, taking the features of the rock are pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. that Eye of Sauron thing that yeah that I did in Rocklands this trip. That was, I mean, that's one of the, it's the quality of the problem that kind of, you know, gives it the 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 aura that it has to me. But the name's pretty cool because you you know the kind of crux move is matching in this kind of slopey eye, and then you pop to the top and yeah, so the Eye of Sauron is that's pretty cool. It's not the best in the world, no way. But I couldn't I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, man. That's um. No, that's fair enough. Yeah. Have you got any problems in the Grampians that like stand out to you that you've developed that, you know, that are very memorable for you? 
yeah, I've I've got I've got heaps that you know that I sort of you know that I really uh, that I think back on really fondly, um, but there's none like there's not one that I, you know I sort of think about more than any others. I, I kind of like you know as you say I like kind of squeezing stuff, so some of some of those kind of things. Mm. But I also like high, you know I like high rats. I love a rats. So. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Have you got a good higher rep that's, uh, that that someone listening can go and get on and get a bit of flavour? I wouldn't want to send anyone onto it, but I, white <laughs> white shadow is pretty awesome. It's, yeah. It didn't have any any didn't have a second ascent for a long time, but um, it's had a few ascents now. But that's a pretty high arete at the back of the bleachers. Yep. And that's pretty cool. But I don't know. I just I, I I don't know. I'm always kind of coming up with the next thing and onto the next one and. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I did a long-term project last year that I've probably spent more time on than than anything I've ever tried. Um, and I did that last year. That was pretty awesome. But then when I figured it out, it felt really easy. So I don't know. I guess that's climbing. When you do something, it always feels pretty straightforward. But yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. That's that's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm. Do you think that that, um, that like the heyday of of development in the Grand Pins is over in terms of bowling development. I mean, oh look, you know, if these SPZs and SPAs and parks have their way, then for sure, you know, that that sort of Southern Grand Pins area is, you know, has got the the potential for so much more development. But you know, the if that stuff stays closed, then yeah, the I guess the heyday is over. Like, you know. There's, there's still a lot in that kind of Halls Gap Valley and the areas around there, so there's still more to do. But, you know, in, in terms of the sheer amount of rock, you know, all the best and all the the, the largest areas are in that Southern Grampians range, in the Vic range. So, yeah, yeah that's, um, you know, that kind of re- really throws a, a spanner in the works for people. And, yeah, it kind of has really fucked with my psyche a little bit. You yeah. Because, well, that's – I don't really have anything – you know, I, lo- I love climbing, and I will always climb. And you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll get by, and I'll be, you know, happy to climb on Taipan, or happy to, you know, do boulders that I've done before, or you know, try things in areas that, you know, I haven't been able to do before. But you know, it, it sort of it's been weighing pretty pretty heavily on my mind over the last six months yeah. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, and it, you know, it also impacts on where where you want to be. You know, just a lot of kind of tossing up between Grampians, Blue Mountains, Grampians, Blue Mountains so yeah, like, for, for the future. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. What? What? I mean, what is what does climbing look like in in that kind of post development world where you can't um, put up any new lines? Or well, there's there's no. They actually haven't said you can't put up any new lines at this stage. There was a a voluntary moratorium, you know, kind of proposed by the VCC, which. You know, I guess with the lack of good faith shown by Parks, has been pretty well kibosh now. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I guess any development you just like that you were interested in doing or are doing, I would probably just keep under the radar now. And I wouldn't do it in in the closed areas, but if you're outside of those areas and you know you want to do some new boulders or or some new trad or whatever, you wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing any sport routes. I definitely wouldn't be sinking bolts in anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to go out and do that, then I would just make sure you're in the in the right zones, and you can still do it. You just, yeah, I wouldn't be telling anyone where it was because that just creates potential problems. Yeah, I, I guess 
Yeah. What's what's your uh, you you are on the Grampians Access Working Group? I was. Were, I actually yeah, I pulled out. Yeah. Um, okay. Just you know, I didn't really like the way things were going. Not to blame anyone or yeah. anything like that, but there's also a lot of people putting in a lot of effort. Um, and a lot of time and have got much better expertise than me. Yeah. And as I said, you like, I don't have a lot of time, like, yeah. which would, you know, some people would disagree with, but, um, you know, I've got time for some things, but I didn't have, I didn't have the time to put in to that particular, um, you know, I couldn't meet with the, I couldn't make the meetings cause they're always at night, at, yeah. you know, at bedtime for park man. And it was yeah. just, it was really hard. And I, I, just felt like there were so many people who were putting so much more in that it was kind of unfair of me to even have my two cents worth. Yeah. So, yeah. After after that, I've you know I've paid up my money with the ACAV and just you know hope that something can be can be done. Yeah. So, yeah. That's as I said, it's pretty depressing and it, you know it certainly plays on my plays on my mind. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about you, but oh look, I I would say that there's been plenty of nights where i'm sitting up and reading stuff on social media or reading articles about it and uh and i get frustrated and uh, and i don't sleep properly and then it affects the rest of my life and and it has a toll and maybe i didn't even realize that that was happening until after it we'd kind of been a few months in you know and and i know that there's people putting so much energy into it because i'll be speaking to those people like late at night and then they're up at 6 a.m in the morning still working on the same stuff yeah yeah some people who have got some amazing energy for i'm glad Mm. they're there and like Mm. look the 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 one thing i take away from it is that uh that climbers are pretty determined people um and we're pretty we can focus on something a problem and throw ourselves at it immensely for extended periods of time um multiple years at a time we 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 do that like that's part of what we do and sure i take solace in that maybe that we can take that forward people don't understand how important it is you know like i mean if you if you have the time and the energy to read that stuff on social media particularly after you know the ABC releases and the, and the stuff that went out to the general public. Some of the shit that people say on there is like, you know, ban all climbers. They're just dirtbags climbing on rocks, and you know that sort of stuff. It's like, man, you don't get how important this stuff is to people's lives. Like, yeah. as you know, as we've just spent the last however m- amount of time saying, like, yeah. that's all I've done for the last thirty years. You know, and I don't know what I'd do without it. And I I live for it. Yeah. I love it. Like, you know, it's. You know, changed changed my life. It's ruined relationships. It's made new relationships. Yeah. It's you know, di- it's dictated where I've bought land and built a house and all that sort of stuff. Like it's really fucking important to yeah. to people. And you know, to have that taken away, you know, with a with a pen stroke by some twat from you know from Parks Victoria who's just been sent in to you know to to boot people out is you know it's painful. Yeah, you know so. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something that will you know take a lot of time to undo. It's really easy to create these issues, you know, but it's really difficult to undo them once they've been you know once they've been done. So, yeah. One thing I want to talk about is that you've been described as having a great love of smack talk, right? Trash talk. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? Where did you develop the the cutting tongue? Um, well, that, well, that's what happens when you're a, you know a little guy at a private school, a little a little Jewish guy at a private school. I um, 
I don't know. I was just, I was always in. Oh, probably not self. I was probably self-inflicted actually, but I was, I've always been lippy. I've always been loud and obnoxious. Yeah. And um, I just honed those skills over over years, you know, to try to make it better. And you got you to remember that most clients are uh, pretty genuine people. And so yeah. it's been really easy to smash them over the years. You know, the, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of people who are really good souls who I've, um, Brought undone over the years. Low-hanging fruit. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm not okay. smart. I'm not clever. I just, you know, <laughs> take take the easy targets. Yeah. So can you give us some examples? What makes good smack talk? Oh, you just got to hit people where it hurts, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just... So if you're going to smack talk me, what would you, where would you start? I don't know, mate. You, ha- you haven't, I've got, I've got nothing to work with here. You're too, yeah. you've, been, you've been too kind and too, <laughs> too professional. You know? True, true. Yeah. Do you think it's teachable? Could you teach me how to do the smack talk? Oh, not not right away. No. You'd, you'd have to serve an apprenticeship, I yeah, suspect. Okay. Yeah, yeah take a bit. You'd probably have to trail me around and brush my holds for me and, you know, spot me on my projects and, and that sort of stuff. And then via osmosis, you might get a little bit. And I might throw you a few, yeah. you know, a few bites here and there. But Pick yeah. up the ways of the smack talk. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what role do you think that has in climbing, like or in sport in general, the old trash talk? Uh, I think it's been frowned upon traditionally in climbing. <laughs> I like to think that that I brought it about with my group of mates. Well, I don't know. We've like, if you spend enough time with a with a group of people, um, you know, and I th- if they're you know mildly humorous at at least, that sort of stuff just naturally comes about. And, yeah. You know, I, as I said, I've had. Or maybe I didn't say, but I've had the same group of friends that I've been climbing with since, really since I was maybe nineteen or twenty. Mm. So it's been more than twenty years that I've known most of these guys for, and you just you develop that rapport with people, yeah. you know. So yeah, and um, we enjoy it. Most of us enjoy it. I definitely enjoy it. <laughs> um, maybe not always when you know if I'm on the receiving end, but <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I've just yeah. I'm just that kind of person. I've Always enjoyed talking shit with my mates, and yeah, I think my, most of my mates enjoyed it as well. Yeah, but actually, all the guys who live in the Blue Mountains who I, I climbed with a lot growing up, like Julian Saunders, yeah. Simon Atkins, Dave Braley, Christoph Gill, they're like four of my mates that I climbed with quite a lot, particularly um, Christoph, Julian, and Simon. And uh, they, when I started jujitsu, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen years ago, they were just relentless, giving me shit. Yeah, oh, man, hugging, cuddle club, blah blah blah. What do you reckon those guys all do now? Jujitsu, <laughs> really? Absolutely addicted. Three or four times a week, can't get enough. Lunchtime, nighttime, forget your kids. I'm going to jujitsu. Addicted. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you led the pack when it comes to it's Brazilian jujitsu. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 So you've been doing that for 13, 14 years? Oh, man. I, I had a big break. When I moved yeah. to the Grampians, I had like, I don't know, I had f- maybe four years, something like that, where I didn't didn't train at all. So the last six years, I've trained quite a bit. Breaks for climbing trips and climbing season. Like, I don't, don't generally train much over winter. Uh, it's sort of more, you know, summer when I'm, when I'm stuck on the peninsula working. Um, What's it all about? Like, for climbers who wouldn't have a... It's basically trying to fold people up while they're still wearing pajamas. Essentially, um, it's 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 essentially wrestling, like for uh, for the layman. So you yeah. you start in a competition, you start standing, but when you're kind of training, you start sitting on a mat or on your knees, and you tap hands, and then basically it's simulated death. You're just trying to kill your mate, you know, via 
um, chokes, locks, um, and submission holds. So you're trying to get people to tap. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just I don't know. It's good. Good, good, clean fun. So fighting with a rock, but it fights back this time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, do, what do you get out of it that you don't maybe get out of climbing? Um, injured. <laughs> Definitely injured. I, uh, yeah, I've got some long-term injuries now that I think have probably originated more with, more with jiu-jitsu than they did with climbing. But, you know, I, I did a bit of um, quite a bit of martial arts, you know, growing up and then I did some boxing and then obviously the bouldering and climbing and, and jiu-jitsu have kind of all led to led to that sort of stuff. But I don't know, jiu-jitsu is it's just another it's another group of people that are not it's become popular now in the last few years with the you know with, with the popularity of MMA and the UFC and all that sort of stuff. But jiu-jitsu again when I started was a it was a fringe sport and it was just a you know everyone would call you a poofta for you know going and rolling oh, yeah. on the mats with your mates and yeah. but it's always been fun. Like it's it's you know it's quite controlled and you know it, you you are trying to submit people but you're not really trying to hurt them you know yeah. most of the people in a club are your friends and yeah. you know there's always a couple of people that you might not get along with all that well but even then you're not you're not trying to kill people you're just yeah. learning and i don't know it's it's a cool martial art i've always been fascinated with that sort of stuff so yeah, okay. yeah. and jiu jitsu is a good one because it doesn't involve especially as you get older it doesn't involve striking yeah, you know, okay. whereas yeah, I learned learned pretty early on that getting punched and kicked in the head doesn't have a lot of future. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did the grip strength as a climber like were you were you like instantly good at it just because you had this crazy? It was kind of it grip. was good early on when you when you fight against other like other white belts. You know, when you start as a white belt, grip strength is kind of it, it's good to have. But as you progress, the more you hold on with the less ability, the more you get yourself in trouble. So, like um, just as an example, one of the you know, the most common submissions is what's called an armbar, yeah. um, which is basically someone lying perpendicular to you with your with your arm kind of bending back across their kind of hip bone, essentially, is one of the ways to do it. And the more you straighten your arms and try to push people away or the more you hold on as they move away from you, the more you're going to straighten your arm and it's easier for people to kind of capture that arm and, and armbar it. And um, so it's kind of this real balance between using your strength and then learning when to let go and you know if you're stupid like me it takes a long time to learn when to let go so and i still make those mistakes but yeah. you know i've just got the uh the benefit of, of time on the mat on my side now you know so I, I try not to get myself in as bad a predicaments as i used to but yeah unfortunately everyone else gets better as you get better that's the funny thing about jiu-jitsu you know you think you, you're getting like with climbing you pro you progress yeah. You know, and your grades get a little bit better, yeah. you know, and, and you're kind of always progressing. Whereas when you're fighting against another opponent and they train as much or more than you, they progress as well. So it can be really frustrating. You really just have to focus on yourself. Yeah. Okay. That's the thing with jiu-jitsu that, you know, that you do with climbing anyway, I guess. You do, you know, people compare themselves to other people like, why the fuck can't I climb V15 and, you know, and that sort of that stuff. But you, I mean, I've always thought that. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. Are you? Do you still feel like you're progressing? With um, I don't. I don't know. It's it's tricky with me because I don't really, as I said, I don't really project. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely feel like I'm progressing on some of my projects. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know whether that's because I'm getting stronger or whether I'm just getting smarter or whether you just learn the moves. Like, there's definitely problems that that I've done over the years that I haven't gotten any stronger to do them. I've just kind of, 
you've almost overcome the problem just with time. You know, you're just learning sequences and learning little micro beta and, mm. you know, you don't necessarily have to get stronger to do those things. You just have to climb the problem better, yeah. you know. And, um, like, I don't feel like I've dropped off. Yeah. But I don't feel like I've gotten, you know, 30% stronger. And I think there's little increments each year. Like this year in Rocklands, like even though I was injured and I had to kind of leave a, a lot of the things that I wanted to do alone – I still had a pretty good trip and I still, you know, I still climb a similar grade to what I always have, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, this trip I would have liked to do a couple of harder things, but I still, you know, climb about the same level that I always have, I reckon. Yeah. So maybe the problems are getting softer, I'm not sure. So Are you are you st- do you f- like do you feel like you're still driven for more progress? I mean, what's the Oh, aim for sure. Now, like, yeah? you know, it's it's that that balance between um kind of um, just wanting to climb and also wanting to improve, you know, to do the things that you find. Like I've got quite a few projects out there that um, that I'm close to and then I've got a few projects that I am nowhere near. Yeah. But it's just a matter of, you know, do I go back now or do I try to do some specific training for it? And it's tricky with, you know, with time and, um, and also climbing. It's really tricky to work out exactly what your weakness is on a particular problem. You know, or or overall that you want to work on, um, and I think training has only just gotten to the point now where it's kind of easier to focus on certain things, and you can kind of improve all the time. Whereas, you know, for me, my training was always just just climb more, just, climb more, just yeah. boulder more, yeah. just campus, just you know, and that's probably why my elbows hurt and you know bits and pieces are falling apart. But yeah. How do you how do you make it all work trying to keep it improving and, and I imagine like you know you've got uh, restaurants you run two restaurants right yeah. um, uh, you're newly a dad as we mentioned yeah. you've got climbing and and that's physical and then you've got another sport that's physical it's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu like how do you keep improving when you've got all these other things stacked in the in the mix uh, well my brother who's my business partner would suggest that I neglect work um, which I you know I try to for look for most of the year. Like over winter, we you know where we are, where we live on the Mornington Peninsula is still reasonably seasonal, yeah. um, and so our restaurants are not crazy busy over winter, and so we you know we work less. I don't work a huge amount basically outside of the summer months. You know between yeah. December and January, it's mad, and then weekends up until Easter, and then obviously Easter's crazy. Yeah. We work you know we work really hard over that period. Um, you know you might work. You know, the first few years we worked every day up until like the 15th or 16th of January, you know, from Boxing Day onwards. Um, but now I don't work super hard. Um, having having a kid definitely, you know, throws throws your time askew a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if, you, if you're focused and you're committed, you can always find an hour in a day to do something. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got my wall at home. I've got a hangboard there. Um, you know, we've got... Bayside about half an hour away, which you know is owned by my brother-in-law and um, and sister-in-law, which is my, my wife's twin, um, and so we spend a fair bit of time there as well. So you know, and because my wife climbs, that definitely helps. Yeah. You know, if she wasn't into climbing, life would be you know be a different story altogether. Yeah. You know, I think if uh, if I was going to give anyone advice about you know if you really want to climb lots in your life then find find a partner who does does the same or is happy doing their own thing you know they they can have a different passion but they need to be kind of psyched to do it on their own i guess if you yeah. you know if you really want to do a lot of 
something. Yeah, that kind of needs to be the way it is, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get in the restaurant game of all things? Um, we, so family business, um, we grew up with uh, my grandfather owned a chocolate shop actually and uh, we grew up working retail for him. So yeah. we used to work in there on weekends and sell chocolates. Um, generally I ate more than I sold. Um, so I guess that was always in the in the genes. And then um, my brother moved down here um, out of school when he was 18 or 19. Mum and dad have always had a beach house down here. So he moved, moved there and then he started working hospitality. And then I worked hospitality through uni and traveling. And, you know, I worked cafes, I worked functions, I worked whatever, I lied to work as a chef at one point. Um, and then, yeah, Dave, who's my brother, um, opened a restaurant down here in, um, in Bernaring about, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago, probably more, probably 12 years ago. Um, and we had always talked about going into business together and then he sold his share in that restaurant and then he went on a bit of a, you know, hiatus. And then, yeah, we opened uh, we opened our first place six years ago. Yeah. And um, I was working as a school teacher at the time and I have never looked back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's, um, yeah, it's been great being self-employed and, yeah, hospitality is pretty good fun. That's, you know, 99% of the time. I've heard that um, from from a, a British client I met in a bouldering gym somewhere that you have really strong feelings about how a pizza should be made. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> he used to climb with you over here. I met him in Christchurch. I can't remember his name. Sorry to that guy who might end up listening. That's disappointing. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have... Really strong feelings about it, but I definitely think that uh, you know if you're gonna if you're gonna sell a wood fired pizza, it should be done well and it should be done with good produce and 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 that sort of thing. But you know, I can't get uh, on my high horse too much because I'm shit at making pizzas. <laughs> I've I've done I've done a summer of it and I wouldn't do it again. I worked on pans uh, the first first couple of years that we were open because our, our other business partner Nathan, uh, who's a mate of ours, is is the chef. And he's the exact chef now for both. And uh, so for the first couple of years, if he wanted a day off, I had to cook. And um, that was all well and good, you know, when it wasn't crazy, crazy busy. So over summer, he would work seven days, you know, like double shift every day, um, which I will be eternally grateful to him for. But uh, yeah, and then over winter, I'd do a couple of days on the pans, which was fine. But then it just got busy and our menu expanded. And, man, I was like Gordon Ramsay in that kitchen. It yeah. was just to myself. I didn't abuse other people, no. but I would lose my shit. Every time a docket come in, I'd be like, why the fuck are they ordering that? What? what? I'd like ask the staff, why are they ordering that? Talk to them. Tell them to order something else. No, we're not going to well, do they that. they want something weird on the pizza. No, not even. Like, I just yeah, okay. I would get stressed. You know, the dockets would all come in at once. Everyone wants to eat at 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Yeah. And, you just get 15 dockets all at once. I'll just be like, fuck, I'm not doing this anymore. We need to hire some more staff. <laughs> yeah. No, fair yeah. play. But yes, pizza should be made well. That's that's my – and no pineapple. No pineapple No pineapple. No. Nah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a fact. 
<laughs> so uh, your dad now, mm-hmm. your son is what, almost a year old. Almost a year, yep. Yeah. Little Parker, his yeah. name is. Yeah, and I um, understand we talked about before, he's, uh, he's been out there climbing it. How has it uh, been becoming a dad? Has it changed your perspective on climbing and, and risk in climbing at all? Or Not really. I haven't really oh. thought about it all that much, but, you know, I'm not... I'm no Alex Honnold. I'm not off, you know, soloing all the time. I don't do a lot of soloing anymore. I did high balls. High balls still, but you know, high balls are. I don't know. It's one of those things. You you know, you take a calculated risk, and particularly if it's if it's a first ascent, you've you know, you've probably done it a dozen times on a rope already anyway. So you've cleaned it. You've you know, you've wrapped down it. You've given it a clean. You've chalked it up. You've tried the moves. And if you can do the moves on a rope, on a rope, often those things are easier when you take the rope out and you you know you just climb it. Um, so yeah, I haven't really, I haven't had any moments where I've gone, should I really be doing this? You know, I, I, but I, again, I haven't done anything. I don't think I've done anything super crazy since he's been been around. I could be wrong, but. You know, my memory's not the best and I don't like, I don't have a catalogue of what I've done over the last sort of, you know, 18 months since, you know, since Amy was pregnant. So, I don't really know. I I haven't, I haven't really sat back and taken stock of that. But yeah, you want to be around for your kids and you want to be, be with them and, and, and that sort of stuff. So, I I guess, you know, if it, if it came to something that I could potentially get seriously injured on or, you know, or worse, I, maybe I'd have second thoughts. I don't know. Cross that bridge when come to it, eh? Yeah, how would you feel if he starts going out climbing all these massive high balls? Uh, I don't know, you know. I um, I guess I'd respect whatever he wants to do as long as he's doing it in a kind of calculated way. Like, I don't know, I'd like to think that, you know, he'll be a free spirit and he'll be outdoorsy, I would really, I would hope. I mean, he loves being outside now. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, that works well for uh, for getting out there. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he loves being outside. Yeah. Loves being in the wind for some reason. He loves the wind. I loves the what, wind. I don't know what it is about that, but yeah, yeah he loves that. But and in South Africa, we were able to be. You know, the weather's always amazing over there, so we're outside all day, every day. Yeah. And he just he loved it. You know, you can see them grow, and you can see how much he's interested in what's going on around him. So, yeah, yeah that was cool. Um, yeah, but I, I guess it's one of those things you just. I don't know. You want them to do whatever they want to do as long as they're, you know, kind of happy and healthy and committed to it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to ponder that further. I'm sure that'll come with maturity. Yeah. But you've got a kid on the way as well, right? I do have yeah. a kid on the way. And have so. you been thinking about that at all? Oh, I tell you, you do think about, oh, do I want to run this out? Do I want to break that ankle? It would be really awkward right now to have a broken ankle. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. But not not thinking about it in terms of uh, anything other than, geez, uh, it would be inconvenient. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. That's so, always inconvenient though, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether you've got a child on the way or not, if you're injured and, you mm-hmm. know, on crutches or whatever. But going home and telling your wife's probably a, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what would be more painful, the ankle or that bit. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Again, Amy's always been really understanding with that sort of stuff. She's, um, yeah. you know, she's been there when I've done quite a few, like, pretty sketchy highballs. And, mm-hmm. you know, even there's only once where I've ever had her kind of going, do you really want to do that? And I was like, just don't ask me that question. Like, you can't, 
in in my process of that stuff, you can't put doubts in my mind. Like yeah. I, if I'm comfortable, I will do something, and if I'm not comfortable, I'll come back and try it again on a rope. Like mm-hmm. you know, and it, particularly with the the Grampian style of doing things, like you don't have this kind of um, like in England, say you have this real ground up mentality of mm-hmm. of climbing, like particularly on the gritstone or really mostly on the gritstone, um, where you know there's this real sort of alpha way of doing things and it's if you go up something and you ground up it and it's E6 or whatever, then you've got, you know, you've got bragging rights in the pub or whatever yeah. that night. Whereas in Australia, that doesn't really, it doesn't have that kind of um, gravitas. So you just, you know, if you throw a rope down something and, and you know, top rope it a bunch of times and then solo, it doesn't really matter, you know. So if you're, if you're sort of 50-50ing about something, then, a, yeah, just throw a rope down it and make sure and then, and then climb it. So, yeah, and now, especially if you're finding it, you know, for the first time, then you just want to make sure those holes are not going to break. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yes. So what's uh, what's in the? I guess taking stock where you are right now in, in the climbing journey of, of things. Like, uh, what what do you think's in the future for you with climbing? Uh, oh, there's still, you know, plenty of plenty of bouldering, plenty of overseas trips. Yeah. Back to Rocklands next year, I think. Uh, lots of unfinished business there. Um, try to be not uh, not as weak and not get injured. That'd be great. Um, but I'd like to, I would like to do a lot more routes in the future. Yeah. I really like. I love sport climbing. I absolutely love it, and I love track climbing as well. And I just part of it, as I said, was just kind of being on my own. And then I don't know. Part of it is Amy's a boulder. She's not really into climbing routes, um, but. Yeah, I would love to be climbing hard sport routes or, you know, even moderate sport routes and, and, and trad. I really miss that stuff. And I really would like to do some adventure climbing at some point. Yeah. But I sort of – some of that, you know, I've sort of held off on because I know that some of it is not as technically or as uh, physically difficult. It's, you know, a lot of it's mental and, and like not – it doesn't require you to be climbing grade 30 or, you know, whatever to, to do. So I've sort of – some of it you can kind of hold off until you're a bit older, whereas bouldering, you know, it, it, it's got a lifespan. You know, climbing at a at a level that you want to climb at. You know, if you, you know, if you your top levels, at, you know, I don't know, V12 or something, you probably only got a certain amount of time to climb that, unless you're a Fred Nicole or you yeah. know someone who can do that into their late 40s and 50s, and you know, you Ben Moons and and guys like that. You just you're 40 now, right? You're 41, yeah. And you're still going hard, right? So how, yeah, how reasonably. Much, how much longer do you reckon you can burn that for before you have to retire and climb trad? Like uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like thinking about that. I definitely, you know, my, my parents have been saying that shit for 20 years. Like, you, you're going to get too old. You, you're not going to be able to do it anymore. You need to, you know, you need to start thinking about your body now. And it's like, forget it, man. I'm a lifer, you know. I'm always going to climb. And it's just to what degree, you know? And are you going to enjoy it if, you know, you were a, a V14 climber? Are you in, are you going to still enjoy it if you're then a V10 climber? And the answer for me is yes. Like I don't, you know, I like climbing hard. Like I love it. But I just love climbing, you know? So if, if I can't climb super hard anymore or, or hard, you know, whatever it is and how other people look at it, but if you can't climb hard anymore, then so be it. You know, it's about the movement, it's about the problem solving and it's about the community and being out in the bush and, yeah, I'll always love that stuff. So, yeah, hopefully I can do it for, you know, forever. Maybe. Yeah. 
So, I'll, look, I'll always want to be in the bush. I'll always want to be outdoors. So, mm. yeah, I'll be, um, be doing that till the day I die for sure. That's it, Australia. And all you internationals who are tuning in, thanks for listening. Head over to thelayback.com and subscribe to make sure you never miss out on an episode. I also share uh, photos of the climber over there and, and I share the YouTube video. We always record a YouTube video with these interviews, well, most of the time. And if you want to see what we look like in the flesh, you can go and watch the whole interview over there. I want to say a big thanks to Simon for sitting down with me uh, and thanks to his other half, Amy, who let me wrangle him away from dad duties for a couple of hours to record this podcast. Simon also wanted me to say thanks to his sponsors. That is Moon Climbing, Edelrud and uh, Red Chili. Shout out to you guys. Uh, I wanted to kind of finish up with a bit of trash talk because we didn't get a lot of trash talk in the podcast. So here's a clip of Arnie. That is the namesake of, uh, or the nicknamesake of, of Arnie's. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger, the king of trash talk, who is, uh, is trash talking Lou Ferrigno, his rival for uh, the, the Mr. Olympia uh, in, the, in the movie Pumping Iron. I thought it'd be a good one to take us out. I should have had the Olympia early on so everybody could relax and enjoy Surely the country. should have it in a month for him. He's not even in shape yet. I mean, gee, he didn't, he didn't get the timing right. I'm telling you. A month from now would have been perfect for you. But then I get bigger too again. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the hell. Let's get it over, Let's get it over with. And uh, if you retired this year, you just never had the Olympia. But you had twice the universe. What the hell? That's not too bad either. Well, you could go on with the next five years. You know, it's you amazing. Can you imagine the feeling I have six times, Mr. Olympia? I told six you, you, can, you found the fountain of youth. Incredible. Six you could times. go on forever. It blows my mind when I think People about it. People are going to get so tired. I called say, my mother yesterday already and I said I won. She says, congratulations, Arnold. <laughs> you know. Well, anyway, listen, guys. Why don't we go? We'll you go, go and help him pump up. Calm him down. Help him. Okay? I will. Don't screw him up this time. I don't want you in our pumping room, okay? <laughs>